First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to First City Focus. I'm your host, Nicole Carey. On this episode, Davies County is one of five counties in the state of Indiana chosen for a pilot program designed to address the mental health of released inmates through a peer recovery process. We'll find out how the program is being designed to help former inmates successfully transition out into society. The challenges of today's fickle economy can be a hardship for small businesses. We'll take a look at recent hardships and how local resources are trying to assist. And present-day challenges also have the United Way of Knox County helping to support community initiatives more than ever. We'll find out how you can help support the United Way's current campaign. We have these stories and more right now on First City Focus. When inmates are released after serving their sentence, they can face an environment that can be extremely challenging to navigate successfully. In addition to trying to find employment, they also need to take care of their mental health, which includes being able to take on the daily stressors that are once again a part of their lives. That's where a new program in Davies County is hoping to make a positive impact. Joining me now to discuss the Pilot Integrated Reentry and Correctional Support Program is Program Director Vanessa Phillips and Davies County Chief Sheriff Deputy Steve Sturgis. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So this is a pilot program that's being funded by the state of Indiana. How did Davies County become one of the few selected to run this program? So over the last few years, Davies County has been putting in a lot of work through different grant efforts to really build the recovery infrastructure in the community. And what that means is being, bringing the face and voice of recovery to community meeting tables and voicing the challenges that they face and the needs that they have in the community. And through those efforts, the state has become more involved and more aware of what those things are. And um, because of that, peer recovery coaching started in Davies County. And through those developments and relationships, um, we were given the fortunate opportunity to be one of the pilot sites here in Indiana to have the ability to grow this program. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, it's, it's not a brand new concept. Um, I think jails and, and correctional facilities have been trying to reach inmates while they're incarcerated to help them turn their lives around um, upon release. So this program will just take it to a much deeper level. Exactly, yes. Um, our team is comprised of four peer recovery coaches that are certified and credentialed uh, through the state of Indiana. And part of their job is just meeting people where they're at. So from the moment someone's incarcerated to the moment they leave those jail doors, we're trying to connect them with resources and opportunities to be successful when they're released, whether it's through obtaining identification, birth certificates, social security cards, setting them up with recovery housing, or finding a treatment bed. Um, we're there to support them in whatever that might look like. Okay, and Steve, what does sure. this mean for those at the jail that work with the inmates every day? So, you know, when, when someone is incarcerated and we get them, they're 
not in the best of conditions. So the goal is when they leave, they can be have a little more tools and resources to uh, to better themselves once they're out. But it helps our jail staff. Uh, you know, there's complex issues that these folks have, and so it can take some of that off of our jail staff, so they can focus on just uh, doing their duties and within the within the security center. Okay, and I know you mentioned this is a true team effort. So who are the, the exactly the personnel that are all being pulled into this program? So I have four wonderful peer support specialists on my team. Um, Heather Coleman, she's our forensic peer navigator. She's kind of doing the day-to-day workings with individuals. We have Lucas Atkins, who's our group engagement coordinator. So he facilitates all of our group programming. We have Heather Racy, who is our resource navigator. So she's connecting with those community partners mm-hmm. that are truly assets for us to be successful with connecting individuals. And then we have Troy Pickle, who's our reentry specialist. He is the person that kind of is our boots on the ground out in the community. When people leave, whether they're being bonded out um, or they're leaving after they've been sentenced and have served that, um, he's connecting them and doing that warm handoff to our community-based team that's so supportive as well. Okay. And I know you mentioned um, some of the what may seem like small hurdles once an inmate is released um, but could become huge roadblocks just trying to get the documentation they need to have gainful employment. Yeah. You know, um, I went to the health department here in Knox County the other day and I uh, presented an opportunity to collaborate with them. And it was simply just because having $15 to be able to buy a birth certificate that you misplaced or lost or was destroyed is sometimes so burdensome because you have $15, but you also have, you know, gas you have to put in your car or children that need to be fed or, um, you know, another bill that's just waiting to be paid. So if we can do anything to build a relationship and take that burden off the clients we're working with, we're, we're willing to do that. Um, how soon do you think you'll see the positive effects of this program being put in place? I kind of think we're already seeing it to a certain degree. Um, just to, just with people getting the proper documentation, they can be out. You know, they're not being released into a void with no support structure or anything. They're being reconnected with uh, some services. And, you know, if, if they have a community they need to get to, sometimes transportation and whatnot. So we're already seeing some positive effects of it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Today I presented at our commissioner's meeting this morning and um, went in hand with some success stories. We've already been able to obtain nine birth certificates 30 identification cards. We have eight people successfully living in recovery housing who are all gainfully employed. Um, and those may seem like small numbers, but that's that one person might have, you know, a few children and parents and other different interconnections. So hopefully that ripple effects goes into all of those other family units as well. And I know um, it seems like we're making strides in talking about mental health, mm-hmm. especially, and that affects our inmate population greatly, being released back out into society. Do you think uh, folks are becoming more comfortable with addressing some of the struggles they may personally be facing and, and being able to share that with professionals? Absolutely. Um, I think that's why our program is so unique because everyone in our staff is someone with lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they've either been incarcerated, had difficulties with mental health and addiction or a combination of all of those things. So our team can sit down and say, you know, I've been exactly where you are. I know how you're feeling. I know the struggle you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, how can I help you? And so even just that simple conversation, you can see the lights turn on mm-hmm. and a light bulb go off and I would say um, just seeing the clients grow daily has been an impact in itself, just being able to work with them day in and day out. 
Okay. And of course, the Davies County program is a pilot program, and part of that is also being a training ground for other counties to help learn from what you guys are learning through this program. Yeah. Um, if we're successful, which I believe we have been already, but if we continue to be successful and show that a program like this can work, the goal is to hopefully get this in all the other jails here in the state of Indiana. Um, and I think Steve plays a great role in that in showing you know, sheriff's departments that that collaboration and that community connection is so important by having a conversation and saying, you know, I might not be the right person to help, but who can I bring to the table? And that's what we're trying to show other communities. From a law enforcement perspective, it helps out tremendously because now there's more mental health awareness, substance use awareness. So, <clears throat> you know, before, you know, if an officer had a situation he was dealing with and maybe there was a criminal element, maybe there wasn't many other choices, he ultimately had to make a decision and the person could potentially end up incarcerated and then we have to deal with them, so to say. But now that there's more options out there, it's like if we can possibly get them some treatment first or get them pointed on a path that helps them, we can deal with the criminal element, but let's ultimately make the person better. And I'm sure that cross-networking amongst counties helps as well because you're also dealing with inmates that even though they're incarcerated in Davies County, they may call home another place. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we wish you all the luck, and we look forward to seeing how the program develops. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. All right. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. To find out more about the Davies County IRACS program, visit our website, vincentspbs.org. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the period between October 2020 to October 21 saw one in five small businesses closing their doors across the country, at least temporarily. This breaks down to more than 1.3 million small businesses. Of course, the lingering effects of the COVID-19 pandemic have played major roles, but officials say the future is not without hope. First City News Director Shalina Barker takes a look at the state of small businesses in our community. Over the past few weeks, the city of Vincennes has seen the closure of several small businesses. This includes Gray's 1885, Quickies, and JW Swirls. Jamie Neal is the president of the Knox County Chamber of Commerce. Her job is to help local businesses get the help they need to succeed. For Neil, each closure is a stab in the heart for a community that loves supporting local. When we see a business close, there's always a concern. You know, there's various reasons why why they close. We all know today, you know, we're all facing workforce issues. Neil says there are many challenges today's businesses are facing. They range anywhere from worker and staff shortages to supply chain issues and price increases. Problems that one local car dealership has experienced firsthand. John Yoakum is the general manager at Yoakum Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Vincennes. His family's business has served the community for many years. Yoakum says the COVID-19 pandemic marked the start of a really trying time for the automotive industry. Originally, when it, when it happened, um, sales were down big time because no one knew what was going to happen or, or what, was, what was going on. Um, then, um, after it kind of settled a little bit, uh, sales started picking back up, but then came our inventory problem. Um, you know, the demand was really high, but our supply was so low that it was tough to meet any of it. Yoakum's business was not alone in this regard. The United States Internal Trade Commission, or USITC, says the COVID-19 pandemic took a major toll on the automotive industry. 
This is due in part to the nationwide factory shutdowns. Production came to a halt in early 2020, and according to the USITC, over 90% of domestic automotive facilities temporarily shut down. Another issue the automotive industry ran into was a major shortage of semiconductor chips. And what happened with that was the manufacturers saw that we weren't going to be selling very many, and so they kind of canceled their chip orders. Um, but then when demand started raising again, they're like, oh, heck, we need to get that, that order back in there. And it was too late. So now they've been playing catch up now for like two or three years. So. The U.S. ITC says most modern vehicles use these chips as they help to process information, improve vehicle efficiency, and make driving safer. While they are an essential component of contemporary vehicles, these chips are used in other electronics as well which further increases demand. The chip shortage, factory shutdowns, and supply chain issues means many dealerships have fewer cars on their lots, and dealerships are having to adjust the way they do business. Getting better, um, but still not anywhere near where it was. Um, just to kind of give you an idea, normally, you know, um, we had about 100 to 125 new cars on the lot. We have 10 right now. You see the customers changing their ways a little bit as far as they used to drive through the lot and maybe see something that they liked. Well, right now they're coming in and they're ordering what they want um, as far as a new car. So a lot of our vehicles that are coming in are sold orders, so they're already pre-sold. Um, but, you know, that's, that's great for them and they're getting exactly what they want, but there is a wait period. Um, it is taking a little bit longer to get to your vehicle or get your vehicle, so... While the chip shortage is still a major concern, according to Yoakum, companies are starting to see a shortage of other items as well. Suppliers are, are getting um, bombarded with orders and they can't keep up. Um, we've seen it uh, in our parts department um, when people order parts or we have a car that needs fixed, trying to get the parts has been a longer delay. Um, and I think some of that unfortunately has to do with some um, employment issues. Um, some of these manufacturers and, and suppliers are having trouble finding enough people that they can make those orders and, and keep up with them. Employment issues are a source of concern not just for automakers, but across industries. It's an issue that Neil says could be why some local businesses are choosing to close their doors. I, that's a question that I, that I, that keeps me up at night. You know, what are, what is happening in Knox County that we can do to help? And, you know, what is that trend? And really it's a trend that's happening all across the United States. Um, you know, again, workforce issues, supply chain issues, price increases, but here locally, you know, we are starting to feel a little bit of that pressure. Despite the many challenges local businesses are facing, both Neil and Yoakum say Knox County businesses are hanging strong and they're excited about what the future holds. You know, you'll talk to a few of the retailers and they've had some of the best months ever. Um, luckily enough, they've had, you know, full staff and they've been able to adjust the way that they do business um, uh, considering with the other obstacles. Getting inventory levels back up to where at least we have more to, to offer, more to show people um, would be great. And um, we're excited about the electric vehicles too that are coming out. Um, so they can never get the new vehicles out fast enough. Once they kind of tease them, we want, to, we want them right away. Neil says while local businesses have had their ups and downs, the important thing is they're maintaining. Until trends change at the national level, it's all about taking it one day at a time and adjusting to the obstacles ahead. Reporting for First City Focus, I'm Shalina Barker.
While Joachim says he's excited about the future when it comes to electric vehicles, he doesn't think the state has the infrastructure for them just yet. However, this is an issue Governor Eric Holcomb is currently working on. Holcomb and other Midwestern governors have created a five-state initiative looking to create a network for charging electric vehicles. They say in addition to reducing carbon emissions, the plan will also improve Indiana's economy. Well, each year, the United Way of Knox County helps support around 30 agencies in our area. But this can't be accomplished without the financial assistance from those in our community. Joining me now to tell us how this year's support campaign is going is United Way Director Mark Hill. It's good to be here, Nicole. I'm glad Thank that you. you're here. Um, so as we all know, the last few years have been very challenging with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it was really a time when agencies had to step up even more to help support those really in need. Um, how has it been for the United Way during this time? So the fortunate part of the pandemic has been that uh, the rich relationship that um, United Way enjoys with the Lilly Corporation throughout Indiana uh, enabled us to draw down as much as 350000 additional dollars in 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. So we had grants specifically geared at addressing those infrastructure problems. How do we keep uh, food pantries open? Mm -hmm. How do we help agencies like St. Vincent de Paul and Salvation Army and others that help with utility bills um, and rising gas prices, those types of things? So that helped, but uh, those dollars now have morphed into other uh, federal dollars that mm -hmm. continue to come into the community. So it's, it's a moving target in terms of trying to find out what's the best formula in addressing those needs for people. Mm -hmm. What has been the biggest lesson that you've learned as you try to lead the United Way during this time? Well, I think that, you know, people do manage to continue to step up in little ways. I mean, we've had things that have happened over the past year, like the big balloon build, where mm -hmm. we had an opportunity to offer free entry into that wonderful exhibit, and we asked for food. Well, people came by the tons. I mean, we had 14,000 pounds of food that were collected in an eight-hour mm -hmm. period of time. That turnout was just incredible. It really was, and, it, and those were people from all over the area. So I think that's an example of how people are doing that. Even this year with the First City Music Festival, we offered a free preview night mm -hmm. on Thursday for people to come in, and they brought food. And so we had enough food from that evening to uh, sustain one food pantry for a couple of months. So those are good examples of how, in, even in tough times, people are willing to step up and help. Mm -hmm. um, so now we're in the middle of your financial campaign for this year. How's it, how's it going so I far? I would say, you know, we're about at the halfway mark of what goal we'd like to reach. And we specifically have not, over the last two to three years, set a goal that we had to achieve because we know it's difficult times for everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, food prices are higher, gas prices, utility, et cetera. So we understand that. Uh, at the same time, I think we're about where we would like to be. And we've had our major campaigns at the hospital wrap up and uh, mm -hmm. here at the university as well. So now we're reaching into those smaller businesses, smaller companies, mm -hmm. and individual and family uh, donations. And we just completed our chili cook-off, which was another opportunity mm -hmm. to raise some money outside of the normal venues. Um, speaking of the chili cook-off, the chili bowl, um, it's always an entertaining time. How was the turnout for this year's the, event? The turnout was great. Of course, we had a beautiful weather weekend and we were outdoors like the old 
chili cook-off. And so uh, it was fun to engage some new people in that process. And of course, you always wish you could raise more money than you mm-hmm. do. But again, that's an example of where Lily matches us dollar for dollar for new money that's raised in the community. Um, and you mentioned your larger employers here in the area. Um, I know there's opportunity for employees to have uh, their donation deducted straight from their payroll. What kind of response are you getting in that avenue? Those, you know, that is still the United Way's bread and butter, you know, reaching in. This week we are meeting with all the different departments at KCARC, and we preach to them, hey, it's not uh, they raised over $7,000 last year. Well, that didn't happen by seven people giving us $1,000 or even 70 people giving us $100. That came from the frontline people giving us $2 a pay or $50 as a total investment. It really came from numerous employees. And so that's the beauty of those kind of campaigns where you can teach people that all those dollars roll up. And then many of those companies, like KCRC is a good example, give incentives mm-hmm. for employees to participate. And I know you, um, you, you talked about the food pantries, the support the United Way gives towards the food pantries, um, but you also support agencies with programs that really reach every age span. Yeah, we do say we're kind of cradle to grave. You know, we have the Babe Store, which we've helped for many years with uh, infant supplies and, and young toddler uh, equipment. So, you know, we do uh, reach uh, the school systems. The, a lot of our impact programs are with programs like the Kindergarten Jumpstart and the Bedtime mm-hmm. in a Box program. Uh, we help seniors. Uh, you know, you, you talk about a population that was really challenged during COVID. Uh, the senior programs, very much so, the Van Gogh programs, uh, the Meals on Wheels, all those programs were ones that really needed assistance during that time. So re- regardless of what your interest is, you can find something mm-hmm. that United Way supports. And you do have the option when people donate to us that they want to direct their money to domestic violence. They can give that money to Hope's Voice, for example. Okay. And if, if someone uh, works in Knox County and they want to sign up through their employer to donate, they can direct their money to go to the United Way in their county as well. That's true. Like, so there are very many people that, for example, that work in Davies County um, that, uh, that have the option of donating to Knox and employees mm-hmm. uh, that live here uh, that work at Good Samaritan or Vincent's University, they can donate back to uh, Davies County. So we have that reciprocal relationship with all United Ways, actually in both states, both here in Indiana and in Illinois. Well, as you've been director of the United Way, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've had taking on this role? Well, you know, I've been at it almost seven years now. That Mm -hmm. doesn't seem possible. And I guess it it really is all about relationships, the relationships you develop between agencies. You know, we've seen Mm -hmm. some wonderful things happen when, uh, just like at Christmas time, we used to have competing uh, toy events between two of our sister agencies. And we're like, why don't you guys do something, you know, different? You Mm -hmm. know, one of you do this with kids and one of you do this with parents. And they both work those things out. So it's great creativity that occurs between our agencies that meet quarterly. Um, It's also about families uh, doing things. We've had families that have uh, annual lemonade stands, that Mm -hmm. little kids raising money uh, to give back to the community. We've done coin collecting uh, options in the schools. So we've always found some unique ways and different ways to reach people, but most importantly, to teach them about the importance of giving. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we see it evident, especially in the community um, that we live in. That's true. I mean, you know, people, even as you say, in the hardest of times, we think about what's happened in Florida and other mm-hmm. places where people come from all over the region to assist people. And so that spirit uh, continues to be here. Okay.
All right. Well, we wish you the best of luck during this campaign, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for being here, Mark. To find out more about the United Way of Knox County and how to donate, just head on over to our website, vincentspbs.org. And now for our final focus. For 31 years, the Vincennes University Automotive Club has hosted its annual car show on the Vincennes campus. The popular show features cars and trucks from many eras, including original classic cars to modified custom autos. It's definitely a display that has many revving their engines. Take a look. One hundred seventy-seven vehicles were featured at this year's car show, which is a fundraiser for the VU Automotive Club. And that's all for this edition of First City Focus. For everyone here at Vincent's PBS, I'm Nicole Carey. We'll see you again next week. First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org.
Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you.